Comic Scene, the podcast. Episode 5, Classic and Contemporary Review. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Comic Scene, the podcast. And today I'm joined by David Ronane and Peter Adamson. Morning, evening. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening. Well, evening here, morning there. Hello from this this afternoon. T- the day was nice. <laughs> so, guys, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I'm a massive fan uh, of your podcast. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how the podcast came about? Okay. Um, well, um, our podcast is We're Eagles Dear, which is a read-through of the new eagle of the 1980s. Um, it was entirely Dave's idea. Dave? <laughs> Well, actually, if we're going to be totally honest, it was entirely us shamelessly ripping off Space Spinner 2000 because we had been doing a Doctor Who podcast, which while we love doing it, is a bit of a hiding to nowhere because there's actually now more Doctor Who podcasts. So there are episodes of Doctor Who since 1963. And we both looked at this this, this glorious celebration of 2000 AD um, by people who were coming at it completely fresh and presenting a very cynical, well, not cynical, um, a very fresh, modern eye to what was essentially a, a, a figment of our youth. And we both sort of sat there and said, well, we could do that. We both read, we both read Eagle. Let's do that. And it, it took off from there. But it's very much a case of um, uh, standing on the shoulders of people who are much better at this kind of thing than us. And we've just been very lucky that we've um, managed to tap into a previously uh, unmined St- strike of nostalgia for want of a better name for my part i was i was the um i was the skeptic in this enterprise i wasn't really sure whether um the eagle comic that i remembered would stand the test of time and even whether it had in my memories and uh, i'm enjoying the ride so far it's been a real revelation to sort of go back to yeah i stumbled across it myself and, and been a fan of of uh of the the new eagle uh, as it's become known in the early 80s i was kind of i was fascinated by the fact that it had actually hit you know new zealand to be honest um you know <clears> because uh you know i i always felt a little bit sort of parochial or, or sort of uk based and i wasn't sure how well it would travel or or kind of yeah. even translate i suppose but but do you want to talk about the the sort of um i suppose british pop culture and and how that kind of kind of hit New Zealand. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's a fair observation. I, I think in terms of um, British culture in New Zealand, I remember um, uh, I was, you know, in my, my teens, I was a collector of, of, of New Zealand alternative music and, and that had been fed and informed by a lot of overseas um, uh, punk and, and, and West Coast American uh, music as well. So specifically things like the Flying Nun Artists, if that means anything to you. Um, but the uh, the joke that sort of went around was that in the 70s, New Zealand was about six years behind the UK. So we had a, a punk scene in the late 70s. Um, but I feel that sort of in the 80s, that time gap began to sort of narrow. So around the time of the Eagle, um, I think that New Zealand was sort of climbing out of its own sort of um, wistful look back to, to what it called the motherland and was beginning to sort of assert its own identity. Um, we had a, a Labour government which which, um, which was quite a, a aggressively pursued a, a nuclear free stance which um, uh, put us on um, you know, a slightly discouraging side to, uh, to our Pacific allies uh, and, and 
a lot of our artists sort of really came of age in the 80s as well, uh, whether in music or in film. Um, Dave is welcome to disagree with me at this stage. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, 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 I have a really bad habit of the podcast on leaping onto topics and jumping all over what everyone else is saying, so I'm, I'm biting my tongue. So if I go silent, I, I apologise. Um, now, New Zealand traditionally was very much a sort of a little Brittany place before Little Britain became a thing. Um, and we were always sort of the tail end of exports and the tail end of fashion and the tail end of culture. But we'd always be getting things through a, 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 a Commonwealth type arrangement with, with the UK, which all sort of fell, fell apart when you know Britain joined the common market. Heaven forbid that should ever become an issue again. Um, <laughs> But that was that was very much a sort of a severing of this traditional. We got all our TV from the BBC. We got all mm. our comedies from yeah, you know, watching ITV shows coming in was a bit of a ooh, bit scary. And the occasional American product. But um, as as you were saying yourself, Philip, um, you know, there was a time when every magazine would have the price in in pounds for England, um, uh, maybe. Uh, it would be in New Zealand money, Australian money, Malaysian money, New Zealand money. And that was usually the order in which the ships went <laughs> round True. carrying all the carrying everything they'd throw off onto the side. And you'd find, um, yeah, as Peter said, we used to be six years behind. And in the 80s, we got to about three months because we'd get our, our Christmas episodes of magazines and comics in about March, April, because that was the speed of a slow boat. The snow on the on the top of the logo basically signified Christmas, but you were getting that in spring, which must be quite interesting, I suppose. And and what did you make of the of the photo stories? I mean, was that a was that a thing in New Zealand? Because it was pretty unique in the UK, certainly in boys' comics. And I, I, you know, I am I'm fascinated to hear what you thought of them at the time and and what you think of them now looking back. I think I was aware of them being in some, um, I guess, girls' comics or girls' magazines. Um, but uh, obviously for boys comics, completely unheard of and, and so very, very strange to look at. Um, I, uh, a couple of days ago, spoke with uh, another one of our, our listeners and friends, um, Morgan Davey, who arranged a, a role-playing game over the Wellington anniversary weekend based on the Eagle photo strips. And we were both sort of talking about how uh, the photo strips themselves seemed, in, at, at, in one instance recognizable because there are real people in real locations but in the other the other instance very very strange and unworldly because everybody was so very obviously posed rather than caught in a moment and you don't get that with withdrawn art uh, what did you think Dave? i i'm probably in a very weird position to discuss it because i came to comics through the look and learn which was an educational magazine with, a, with an entertainment supplement that we'll get to later. And so they would have lovely bits of photorealistic art depicting things like you know, the Spanish Civil War or you know, spies during World War One or what have you. And so I, while I'd read other people's... Um, you'd see other things. You'd see the occasional 2000 AD and maybe the occasional American comic. But I came from a... a, a a large town, it's, we call it, it's a city here, but I think they, they tweaked the rules to make it a city. It's a large town. So there weren't comic book shops. You'd go to the corner newsagents and 
And it'd usually be the Woman's Weekly and, and other things you, your mum would buy. And so those were full of pictures. So it didn't really faze me when I first saw it. And it's sort of quite interesting coming back to it now where you're used to seeing um, 40 years of 2000 AD graphic novels, everything like that. And to now they're like a real eyebrow raising rarity, but I don't think I ever noticed them being particularly odd at the time, or at least I don't remember that, but you know, I am old. <laughs> Memory does cheat. It's a bit of a leading question from my side, but did you prefer the initial run when it was sort of more of a magazine with the folk stories or did you like for me, it, it was a bit of a golden age actually when it when it moved to purely uh, picture strips, uh, you know, uh, in '84. Spoilers! <laughs> Spoilers! We haven't got there yet. Spoilers! We will have by April, Dave. Oh, ooh, possibly, yeah. We're, we're we're planning a special man overboard episode where Peter throws in the towel and he'll be coming into having completely new uh, content, which I think is going to be around that time. So. Um, I don't know. I, when I was, before we started this, I had fonder memories of the picture stuff. But I've got to be honest, I've found the, there's a certain type of enchantment to the photo strips, um, even if it's t mercilessly taking the mickey out of the invisible boy, that I don't think you get anywhere else. I think for my part, there is a nostalgia. I, I left the comic before it became a, a, a drawn comic. Uh, I remember sort of dipping... Um, into it a, a couple of times in its future, either while it absorbed Scream, or maybe I'm just misremembering and it was Scream, um, and and thinking, oh, it's it's sort of lost something. So in a way, all I've really known is, has been the photo comics of Eagle, and certainly if anybody I know who, who's talking about it remembers Eagle, they remember it for the comics, for the photo strips. It's uh, it's been indelible certainly, and it's and it's. Um, in its identity. And, and even the, the comic strips, the drawn comic strips during the period of the photo strips, like the um, the Tower King, the House of the Damon, the, the Dan Dears, they're made more special because they're the drawn strips against the photo strips. It seems to sort of elevate everything else a bit as well. It's, it's quite weird. Yeah, I, 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 totally, I totally agree, actually. And I think, I think because... They were using the format, and they had the full color Dan Dare, fully painted Dan Dare strip, which was quite unusual at the time. And even the black and white strips had sort of tone. And you've got Jose Ortiz, you know, fantastic artist, you know, pretty much an unbroken run in those in those uh, that initial run. Um, the quality was definitely there. And I've got to admit, personally, I, I absolutely loved the photo stories as well, and didn't really have an issue with them because in the UK. You know, we had the, the girls' comics were, were, were full of, of these photo stories, more down the romance sort of line, you know, and you'd get sort of occasional famous stars to be popping up, like, you know, George Michael uh, famously popped up in, 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 a, in a photo story, you know, in the UK. And certainly locally in, in Dundee, we had the, the Jackie, which is basically a, a very famous, you know, uh, girls' magazine with these uh with these photo stories in them so uh, where, where it was it was kind of like down for me was the scope of the 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 visual effects if you want yeah the, there are stories that hit and there are stories that miss um i think the doom lord manages to to pull a lot out of being a photo strip um 
just because they they use it better. Whereas we're currently doing that the House of Correction, which for a story called the House of Correction, they don't have any exterior shots of a house. So you're sort of sitting there going, "What are you doing?" And I I do wonder if towards the end the budget is biting a bit on the photo strips. Um, uh, the the fantastical cut and paste. Um, stories get a bit more uh, wackier and easier to spot, perhaps. For me, I think the ambition is really seen in the collector strips, actually, because every week they had to be a different story, quite often a different location, and and, and require different sets almost. Uh, so you see the breadth of um, what I would have called, you know, early stories which didn't seriously satisfy so much and, and it seems disrespectful to to speak of this so soon after his, his passing but ron smith's um aliens uh, drawn in the very first collector story um it just disappointed a little because it didn't commit to the to the photo uh, the photo ideal but then a few issues on you've got red fingers with a sort of a carnivorous plant uh, gobbling up its um its caretakers and i was completely fine with that so um i guess there's that range and also the element of sort of leaning into it and embedding and, and yourself into the style and, and what your expectations are going to be. Yeah, there was nothing else like it, that's that's for sure. Um and you know, at the same time, you know, what what were the what, what other comics were you picking up uh, around that time? For my part, leading up to that, um so Eagle is the first comic I collected on an ongoing basis, and then of course um uh, wandered over from there to um to uh, to 2000 AD um but leading up to that it was it was a little bit like uh, uh how Dave was describing you know the, the the corner shop I'm from even an even smaller town in the South Island and uh and so whatever dairy or, or, or corner shop that was sort of close by had you would essentially pick up and, and that would be things like um gold key comic reprints of of you know Disney comics or perhaps Hanna-Barbera um uh what else would there be um there'd be the odd sort of disney movie um comic adaptation and i remember just before picking up eagle um i picked up a uh, i think a marvel comic adaptation of blade runner which i still have and love um and there are a couple of star wars comics in there as well you know the, the very early marvel run uh, but it was just very bitsy uh and uh, as i say eagle provided the first real run of continuity yeah, for me, again, I've been doing the look and learn. My, I, I had several younger sisters, so in the house there'd be the Bunty and the Beano and Buster. And, um, of course, the mainstay of, of my youth for comics at that stage would have been Tintin, really, and maybe the occasional Asterix. But I had an uncle who had the first 200 progs of 2018. So occasionally I'd I'd slip into those if I was you know, staying with my grandparents, um, but uh, uh, yeah, that, it was sort of there, there were all sorts of things about, but I think Eagle was my first proper. Well, you say comic, it's a magazine, but um, yeah, the Eagle was my first really collected every week comic comic. Yeah, that does actually mirror what was going on in the UK, I would say, because, you know, the distribution of American comics was quite, you know, sporadic here as well. And, you know, it was very rare to pick up, you know, an American comic or certainly to get a run of American comics. I do <clears> remember <throat> there was a newsagent here that that randomly picked up, you know, 
X-Men and and uh, the, the the Hulk Peter David's run of, of the of the Hulk actually but but that was about it you know and you, you really had to hunt them down and we only had sort of one comic shop and that that didn't hit until sort of mid uh, to late 80s so it was really hard to track them down and it's interesting that mm-hmm. you know that basically it's, it's kind of the distribution that kind of dictates you know what you pick up yes definitely um <laughs> well, I can remember there'd be there'd be some weeks when, for whatever reason, either we were catching up with a British postal strike or a British printing strike, where you wouldn't have anything for for extended periods of time. And um, and when they did come back, there may be an issue, be an issue or two missing. And it's not something we've we've covered, but I've got a uh, I've still got my original Eagles, and every so often we'll be doing one I haven't read before. Not not a lot of them, but. Um, you, 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 every so often there'd be one. Oh, I remember this one didn't turn up for six months, uh, or it, it, it turned up it turned up as a gloss. Yeah, it was with a with a note from the the, the news agent going, "I'm oh, sorry, this turned up. Do you want it?" Um, six months after it was after its all its cousins had arrived. But um, yeah, yeah, that's that's funny you mentioned that. I remember I missed one issue of of the original run, uh, the New Eagle, and at that point it was kind of impossible. To pick up back issues, you know, it was just, <laughs> just especially the, the the new ego. And I, and I do remember there's a there's a small um, town or village or whatever you want to call it, just outside Dundee called Edzo. And I was there one Sunday afternoon with my parents, and it was Easter. And I went into a newsagent, and it was obviously one of these old school newsagents because it had, you know back issues by default i.e he never took anything off the shelf you know so <laughs> i i lucked out and i managed to pick up that one issue which which was sort of like my holy grail issue and it's the issue of uh, new eagle with um general is it general wilkinson uh, from from the first doom lord and he's, and he's changing mm-hmm. into doom lord and it's on a sort oh, of right. tan yes. background yeah, that's a good cover. and that was yeah. basically <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's it. and basically that was my holy grail you know because i couldn't find it anywhere when i found it i was you know it it was just it, it just made my made my year that shows you how sad i was well we had on our facebook on the facebook page for the podcast we had someone go uh that's what happened to Kara in Mannix. I missed that issue, and I've not known for thirty years. <laughs> Good that you're filling in the gaps for people there. <laughs> it's a public service. I think it was what you're doing. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I think um, you know, like like yourselves, I kind of graduated on to to 2000 AD through the New Eagle, and uh, you know, and didn't didn't realize that half the strips were actually you know. Pen names for you know John Wagner and Alan Grant, yes. and it should be obvious now when you read them. You know the tone of them is very much them. Yes, well, not not only that, but there's a point we will get to with Eagle where um, a lot of its reprints. There'll be a reprint run. Oh, we're a long way away from it, but probably when we're in the two hundreds, if we ever get there, um, where well, we've we've started with One Eye Jack turning up and I remember that was like new and edgy and cool and not, not realizing it was 10 years old and from Valiant <laughs> yeah it was the same actually I thought it was a, a strip just created for the new ego I didn't realize mm-hmm. until many years later that it was uh, a dirty reprint <laughs> but it but it but it, it, it it's interesting compare con- contrasting and comparing because the photo strips are usually about Eight to nine panels a page, and one eye jack's pumping along at about fifteen. 
You know, so you've got three pages and about 45 panels and the story's rocketing through and it's in, out and done. And it's the, the, the it's a really interesting change of pace, uh, a different a different school of comic telling entirely. Yeah, I read an interview with uh, John Cooper uh, years ago and, and it, it mentions in the interview that he'd never even been to America. Yeah, it feels pretty authentic. It does. It does. Well, especially after Doom Lords America, which is a back lot, back lot in Northwest One or something. Yeah, and King's Reach Tower, you know, making it yet another yes. appearance. Oh, yes. <laughs> Some skillful angles. Yeah. <laughs> I go down to London every year with my students. I've still not managed to make it down to the site of, you know, King's Reach Tower stroke, the nerve centre. I feel like this is the year I've got to go down and, you know, and you know, get get a photo outside it because it's so so iconic. I believe it's still there. Oh, I hope so. It's uh, uh, Thag's moved it. It's it's flown away. <laughs> it's flown to Oxford, apparently. So. <laughs> okay, great. Well, I think let's um, let's move into your comic choices, uh, and I think we'll start with you, Peter, if we can, and maybe we'll have a sure. look at your um, classic choices. We're calling it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, what I brought um, along for this episode is a fanzine, or at least a comic zine, um, by the savoury name of Pistake, which is uh, Mistake with a P, uh, substituting the M. Um, Built as issue 10 uh, from January 1994. It hails from Wellington, which is my current home, and it's about an A5 black and white um, zine. Um, cover of it is a uh, a picture of um, it's it's pretty much its central character, uh, a character called Stratjacket Ninja, and this is not done by its regular artist, but the artist in question here is Martin Emund, who um, uh, had a uh, uh, a good spot of success um, in the UK and in the US, uh, collaborating with the likes of um, uh, Gordon Rennie, uh, working on Accident Man. And even doing some artwork for Glenn Danzig's um, uh, comic as well. Sadly, uh, Emmond, of course, uh, uh, died in the early 2000s. Um, and then venturing further into the pages, we sort of get uh, the content of Pistake, which is a, a uh, an anthology comic, um, largely edited by David Tullock, who is the scriptwriter for a few of the stories inside. Um, we have a few stories here. Uh, Weapon Z. Uh, which is a straitjacket ninja spin-off, um, illustrated by Simon Morse. Um, and uh, Party in 1710 by Johnny Bro, Space Aliens and Guilt uh, by Grant Buist. Uh, Tim Cornelius provides the tortoise and the hare, which is a sort of a, 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 a an odd, the original odd couple um, comic strip. And then finally, um, or almost finally, uh, a character called Antenna Man, um, by uh, a good friend of the um, of the Pistak crew, a young artist, even then going by the name of Rufus Daglow. Um, rounding things out, uh, another strip by a guy called Andy Lachlan called uh, 13, and then on the back cover, um, a single-page comic called Roy Columbus and the Invaders, which is probably a reprint. <laughs> um and it, it goes credited to Mummy's Boy, but it is actually um, Simon Morse, the straight jacket ninja artist, pulling off, I think, a pretty convincing um, Jamie Hewlett styled um, style. Uh, and that's Pistake. Um, I think the most interesting thing about this issue really 
is is what lies in the future for some of these talents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it is a bit of a, a who's who, and um, and it is quite a diverse anthology as well. Yeah, it's 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 diverse also in in, in those futures. Um, if you had asked me in nineteen ninety four who was going to be uh, the bright shining talent of Pistek, I would have said uh, easily uh, Simon Morse um, through uh, Straight Jacket Ninja. He's got a very look. I'm just going to say it, Philip. He's got a Bisley esque style. Um, it just looks like it was ripped from the uh, from the, the panels of um, of the ABC Warriors Black Hole story. Um, beautiful composition, I think. Very dynamic, but very telling in its influence. Um, and yet, Simon Morse, um, for his uh, for his work, he did a lot of work with uh, Martin Emond. Uh, pretty much went into design. He uh, he. he Co-founded um, Illicit Designs with uh, with Martin Emond, and they worked in Auckland for a while on clothing lines. Um, and uh, more recently, he's been back in Wellington as, and as a tattoo artist now, and providing some beautiful work. Um, but to my knowledge, doesn't really work in comic strips anymore. And the, the most recent work I, I saw of his was that style, um, again on um, on beer cans. There's a, a boutique brewery here called uh, Garage Project. And again, some very um, Jamie Hewlett, Simon Bisley inspired uh, characters on the on the cans makes them very collectible. But sadly, outside my budget. Um, the other big story there, of course, is Rufus Daglow, um, and and his artwork in Antenna Man. Uh, now, Philip, you said uh, you thought it was Hewlett. It's, it's actually more Philip Bond, isn't it? Looking at it, uh, and with it, with a bit of Brett Yoon's thrown in there as well. Do you know I'd add John Hinklinton? Oh yeah, yeah, it is yeah, yeah. Especially page three, and uh, yeah. something about that face in the bottom uh, right hand panel uh, that that definitely is. And uh, we'll we'll put <laughs> we'll put these scans up if if that's okay. We'll put them up on the Facebook page so, so you can see what we're we're talking about here. So um, yeah, you're yes, right. You it's it's, it's uh, this. There's a whole. I mean, the, he's wearing the influences, you know, on on his sleeve here, definitely. Mm. <laughs> I think I think that sort of really forms the the the, the centre of my argument. Really, that 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 piss take is typical, at least in regards to. Um, uh, now, this could be a little bit controversial, but fanzine culture and, and comic scene culture being a bit of a conversation between uh, the, the the authors and those and the or the creators in those zines and their influences, um, there is some ori- really original artwork in in, in Pistake, But the most striking is for me is, is is where I can sort of see, yep, I recognise that, <laughs> and yes, I can see where they're coming from. Um, the Weapon Z story in itself, the uh, the original um, David Tullock Simon Moore story, is in itself script wise, I think, a bit of a riff on the uh, Weapon X storyline from Wolverine. So all of these things filtering into uh, to, to a local zine, it's quite interesting. And how freely available was this scene? Where did you pick this up from? Um... Hmm. Yeah, so um, probably around about ninety four, ninety five, I would have picked this up at a local comic shop, the only comic shop of its of, of the time, in Dunedin, uh, where I was studying and working. Uh, it was called Bag End Books, and um, Bag End Books was huge for me because having come from an even smaller town of Ormaru, 
uh, a few years previous, there was nothing of its kind. And, and, and to see a comic shop which had issues of, of Hellblazer and, um, uh, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman's um, uh, Sandman and uh, and Bone and Cerebus the Aardvark, all of these things just cover to cover, cheek by jowl, uh, was was huge. And um, uh, I, uh, I had a regular order for the Doctor Who magazine at the time, um, but I'd always been a bag end, just, just just absorbing what was on the shelves and and bless them, they um, like a lot of uh, comic shops around here, which is really good. Had a uh, had a wee stand in the corner for local comics. So from there, I picked up Pistake, um, as well as a few other um, comics. One notably was another A five zine called Filth, uh, by an artist by the uh, artist by the name of Ant San, um, who's an Asian New Zealand artist. Um, he went on to uh, to to provide us with a few more sort of um, comic series, and uh, eventually went into sort of hard press comics with um, titles such as um, uh, uh, Shaolin Burning, and um, then went over into animation. So we had a series here in New Zealand called Bro Town, uh, which was about um, some sort of South Auckland um, Pacific Island kids. Um, really, really well done very successful um and all of the character designs were were provided by him so he he was a kid made good and and for me it all started in that corner of back in books yeah i mean it's uh it's, it's interesting that it says you know issue 10 because you know, my experience of, of zines at the time set in the uk is a, <laughs> it's rarely they made it past issue one that's aspirational stuff <laughs> In fact, um, in fact, uh, I, I actually uh, attempted to put a fanzine together through through our local comic shop, the Black Hole, and we will be we will be getting the owner of the Black Hole comic shop, which which only shut down just last year, uh, on the show in a future episode, uh, and we basically got together, you know. Uh, a number of pages before, you know, uh, creative uh, creative differences put paid to that. Oh dear. Well, look, I. I'd- I'd be disingenuous if I didn't say that at the time, this is an omitted detail, I, I was attempting to be part of the local comic scene myself. I was I was uh, drawing and writing comics. So picking up Pistec was a little bit about sort of scanning or scanning the the competition out there. <laughs> and um, well, well, it is admittedly how Peter and I met. <laughs> if we want to get into the deep dark recesses of the past, because um, we both, well, Peter was doing comics for a Doctor Who fanzine in New Zealand, a very successful one, a TSV, and and I sent him some scripts, um, which he was gracious enough to illustrate, and that's how we first met. Ah, I see. I used to pick that up actually. Uh, I used to oh, get did it. you? Yeah, yeah. So um... burn them, Philip. Burn them now. <laughs> Peter was a rato, or Peter, Peter, and uh, various other writers were a rato. Ah, that's what that cryptic message was the other day. Okay, I get it now. All right. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Peter likes to hide his life under a bushel. I didn't want to embarrass him, but, but um, yeah, there is a bit of fanzine in our history too. Ah, interesting. Well, that makes the choice even more, you know, inspired, I suppose. <laughs> so, yeah. So how long did it last beyond the issue that, that we're talking about um, today? Well, I'm, I'm figuring probably not very much longer, um, certainly in terms of its availability. I actually met David Tulloch um, 
about a year after that, uh, and um, I don't think he was working on um, on Pistake at the time. He is still providing uh, the world with scripts on his own website, but uh, for for um, for all of that, um, any mention of of, uh, of Pistake seems to um, seems to be very hard to find. Although um, uh, most of Straightjacket Ninja is available online, which is which is which is glorious, and I'd be happy to send you the link. I'm assuming that it actually did did travel as well because you know Rufus obviously uh, was from from our part of the world. Uh, so, uh, do you know anything about the background of how it, it, it how they actually came to get together, or did you just pick up purely as a fan? Um, as far as I can tell, simple geography. I, I guess you know Wellington is a reasonably small town in terms of its of its scenes. Um, and uh, I know that um, Simon Morse and Martin Eamon, for example, had actually been schoolmates um, for for a number of years and, and, and virtually got to know each other on a bus. Um, uh, and uh, reading the pages of Pistake, it seemed that uh, Rufus and Simon were, were inseparable. In fact, they drew each other all the time in the, uh, in the, in the panels that I've, that I've got. Uh, Rufus then sporting an outrageous mohawk. Um, I think he's cleaned himself up a little bit since then. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think just it's it speaks to sort of a small group being somewhat isolated. I think um, as as we might see in the other uh, the other choice I've got, uh, there is a bit of a bunker mentality with um, with New Zealand creatives and in, in being a very small island, very far away from everywhere else in the world. Um, uh, we either sort of stick together or 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 perish alone. <laughs> Well, we could relate to that here in Scotland, but anyway, we'll move on. Um, we'll move on to your other choice. Actually, it's a good point to move on to your second choice, which is a more contemporary book, I suppose. And do you want to tell us what your second choice is? Sure. So my second choice is a section of an a an anthology uh, by Dylan Horrocks. Uh, so this is from the 2016 text, um, Incomplete Works. Uh, authored uh, and created entirely by Dylan Horrocks. It's published by Victoria University Press. Victoria University is um, one of the two main universities in Wellington, and they've uh, produced, I think, three of his works now, the most recent being The Magic Pen. Uh, and also, um, no, I, I tell a lie, um, the other uh, the other big work of Dylan Horrocks was Hicksville, which I think was, um, was published by Fantagraphics in the early 2000s. So um, overall, Incomplete Works is, uh, as I say, an anthology of about 30 years of work um, from Dylan Horrocks. He is probably in his mid-50s now. He was born in 1966. Um, so he was a, an early starter with comics and is actually, in, in some ways, a bit of a contemporary of the uh, the Pistake crowd, along with some Auckland creatives uh, such as Cornelia Stone and Roger Langridge and, and, and others. Uh and um, the uh, the section of incomplete works that I uh, have brought to the table is the last section, which is called a cartoonist's diary. Um, it is around about twenty twenty three pages, um, and is what it says on the tin. It's um, it's uh, Dylan Horrocks uh, recalling um, a few days over um, sort of March twenty twelve. Um, and uh, and detailing a lot of what he's up to and and uh, typical of Dylan Horrocks, I think there's a, a strong autobiographical element to his work. He starts with 
dropping off his uh, or or picking up his uh, his his teenage son from a friend's party in, in Pukekuhi, um outside Auckland. Uh, and then there's a brief diversion where he talks about um, heading up north to Russell, which was uh, the original capital of New Zealand, and Rua Pekapeka, uh, where Honeheke fought the British in 1845 and 46. So these sort of um, uh, uh, digressions into into local history and and, um, and and New Zealand history are, as I say, a, a, a not infrequent element in his work. Um, at 2 p.m. on the same day, he, he goes to a bar in Onahunga, which is, again, sort of South Auckland. Um, and there's a gathering in memory of New Zealand comics pioneer Eric Reseter, who died uh, the previous year, in, in two, December 2011. Um, Horrocks draws uh, those who are, who are gathered, and it's interesting that the, the, there are some names there already. There's comics collector David Cryer. Uh, he's drawn in his cousins and his stepmother, Shirley Horrocks, who is a, a filmmaker uh, in her own right. And then uh, from from others, there is uh, some um, uh, art gallery and uh, auctioneers um, and um, cartoonist and New Zealand comics blogger Adrian Kinnaird, uh, who wrote um, a really, really good collection of and, and uh, history of New Zealand comics called From Earth's End, which is just currently sitting at my feet. Uh, and lurking in the background, cartoonist Barry Linton, who um, Horrocks actually provides a sort of a, a lengthy biography of um, elsewhere in Incomplete Works. And Barry Linton, who uh, who passed away last year, is, is is real comics history from the late 60s to, uh, to, as I say, almost the present day. And you can sort of chart the movement of popular culture through his work. So through the diary, um, as I say, uh, Horrocks sort of details the um, the creative flow or, or the lack thereof, as I say, uh, digressions are, are, are common. He he thinks about um, Eric Reseter's work, and there are some reproductions of uh, Reseter's schoolboy comics, which he was producing in 1943 and selling to um, American servicemen on their way to the Pacific War. Um, he is regarded pretty much as um, a New Zealand comics pioneer, even though he was uh, an obscure name for for many many years. Um, we accompany the, the party to the scattering of, uh, of Reseter's ashes and then we return back to uh, Horrocks um, waking up having had a surreal dream in bed and then starting about his day. What I find interesting about it is that he employs lots of different styles uh, to almost to illustrate the flow. So there's, uh, there's his customary pen and ink style but there's also some computer art there as well. There's watercolour. Uh, there's a very sketchy painterly style as well. And um, and and all of these styles are present throughout the book as well. Uh, uh, Dylan Horrocks has quite a recognisable face um, in his his art. He's one of these artists where you look and look at a face of one of the characters and say, "Yep, that's a that's a Horrocks piece." Uh, but it's interesting throughout the anthology to sort of see that develop and 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 lock in. Um, but even then, in this most recent piece, he's um, he's you know he's. He's stretching things out a little bit. He's, he's clearly got a business style and he's got a, a more intimate style. Um, I really like it as representative of the, the whole work. Um, as I say, it is quite sort of semi-autobiographical or entirely autobiographical here. It's very confessional. He struggles with um, he struggles with creative block. And uh, I think the uh, the constant fretting back to, to uh, Eric Reseter's fortunes um, is uh, is almost like a, a devil on his shoulder, <laughs> um, and um, 
and it ends by not ending which is really interesting he uh he travels through the rest of the, the rest of the diary reviewing a book um uh, drawing some illustrations for his son's classmates making a birthday card and says i wish i went so busy right now i wish i could spend more time drawing i wish i had made more comics but this, we made this, and it's a picture of his, his boy at his, uh, his birthday party, surrounded with his friends. Uh, and then um, eventually the muse comes. He draws some more commissioned sketches, plays around with watercolours, and then it's on to another project. I've been asked to do the poster for a comics festival. Thinking again about Crash O'Kane, who's another uh, Eric Cressida character, he, to, he says, back to the magic pen, which of course is this work he's working on now, 50 pages to go, dot, 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 over uh, over a, a jumbled sort of um, storyboard for his comic. Um, I really enjoy it. I, I appreciate the honesty in the work. Um, and uh, and I, I think, um, you know, Horrocks' success is, is something to be um, to be valued. He's, he's the recipient of an Eisner Award. Um, he was nominated also for... Um, uh, for the Harvey Award, and uh, um, in 2016 was a laureate in the Arts Foundation of New Zealand. So, you know, 30 years of of, of work is, uh, is provides an interesting measure of work, and it's very varied, as I say, throughout incomplete works. But uh, for me, the, the diary just encapsulates it really nicely, and I can certainly relate to it uh, with uh, with a lot of the things I've tried to do and get off the ground in my last 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel it does feel very experimental. It feels a bit like a sketchbook to me, actually, a sketchbook of comics, which which is no bad yes. thing, you know. And uh, and there's a like you say, a mixture of styles, and you know, I, I love the page where it's just the it's just the color uh, the color flats, you know, on their own, and uh, you know, he's sort of played about <laughs> with it with the format, and uh, and again, I, I love the way that like you say, it ends, but it doesn't end with that kind of the thumbnails and on lined paper and showing a bit of the process. So. It gets a bit kind of meta as well, and what I also love is that yes. there's a page where the the ashes are, are scattered. I, I, I think it is, and then or, or or it could be the birds or flying in the sky. And all it is is a smudgy, smudgy ink mark, you know, um, yes. which is really really clever. I mean, it's, there's almost nothing on that page, but it's really really effective. Um, elsewhere, um, elsewhere in the comic, he he, uh, well, it's in the collection. He. Um, he, there's almost a, a motif of, of of things over landscapes, things drifting away. He does a tribute to um, the uh, the creator of Crazy Cat uh, as a leaf or at least a dried up cactus um, uh, floating on the wind, and it's 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 wonderful. I, I'm I'm a sucker for negative space anyway, um, and I think it's you know, it's 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 brave to sort of use the space of a page so economically and yet so effectively. And then you know there's that there's that real icky you know dry brush effect. But then there's pages where there's sort of super detailed you know line works a bit tighter. The drawing works a bit uh, the the line works a bit tighter. And then you have sort yes. of watercolor pages. I mean it's it is really is a kind of uh, a, a kind of you know uh, guide and, and you know to different kind of styles of comics in one in one you know um, narrative piece. It's, it's an incredibly clever piece of work actually. Yeah, yeah, lots of different voices um, within it, mm. but it still it still reads as one narrative, which is quite interesting because it could have could could have been quite disjointed, you know, and 
but it works and I tend to find that we get a lot of our students you know going for this kind of approach which is a bit more experimental and a bit more you know autobiographical or semi autobiographical I suppose you could you could call it mm. there's a real collage effect um to it uh, which I guess is telling in itself. I mean, life is not a, a, a seamless narrative. It's it's a it's a connection of little bits and pieces. Mm. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> David, are you aware of this work? I'm aware of it. I've never read it fully. I remember when it came out, I, there were many reviews about it, um, and I have to admit, it's uh, as I've got older, the it's it's more of a, a series of themes that has spoken more to me especially as I have my own children to entertain with drawing them stuff, um, nowhere near as skilled, uh, rather than the um, crash-bang wallop of, of things like The Eagle. No, it's a, it's a good job. And, and the rest of the, the book, I mean, um, you know, I mean, I've not, I've not read, I, I've, I've seen the, the segment that you, you've, you've chosen today, but I've not seen the rest of the book. Um, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it a similar sort of vibe going on, or is it, or is it diff- lots of different stories it's lots of different stories um uh, as i say he's he's traveled a bit um there's material that he was producing in the uk and that talks about his experience of living in london uh there's a rather cheeky single page called letter from catwoman uh, drawn in tribute to the great english cartoonist ed pincent in response to his beautiful mini comic illegal batman um horrocks actually had a stint on scripting batgirl um for dc and uh, apparently was quite dissatisfied with the experience. So I find it interesting that he sort of referred, possibly referring to it that way. But um, the whole work um, of, of, of incomplete works is is very different. As I say, there's a sort of a progression in art styles, and yet I don't think it's entirely um, in chronological order. Um, there is, there's a strip here with uh, speech balloons with absolutely no words, Um there uh, is an attempt at a um, a cartoon history of of Captain Cook, um, and uh, reproductions of of um, more um, uh, more political works as well, um, uh, detailing um, uh, East and Western politics, or at least Western Middle East politics, um, the impact of nine eleven, and uh, as I say, the aforementioned sort of New Zealand uh, question of 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 race relations and and, and so forth. Um, and for um, fantasy role players, there's a, a strip here called The Physics Engine, uh, which details, um, it seems, um, one of Horrocks's other loves, which is the creation of worlds. He is a role player uh, and, uh, and, and a self-confessed Dungeons and Dragons nut. Um, and on his website, in fact, you can sort of see examples of uh, some of the monster manual creatures that he's, he's redrawn. And he's just recently um, published a a, a a parody of a biblical tract which warned against the evils of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, it's, it's it's wonderful to see that humour sort of creeping through so very varied and, and as a primer for a, a for Dylan Horrocks I, I really recommend Incomplete Works Great, no it's a, it's a great choice I, I love the quote on the back page it says you know painstakingly unearthed from crumbling photocopied periodicals which again sort of ties, ties into your first choice i suppose you know um where you know that there's that kind of small well i, I suppose you call it small press scene but that's, that's not what it was called back in the day that's kind of what it's called now but yeah the zine sort of scene and you know coming out of that and on the back cover there's there's a great image of kind of you know sort of photocopied 
you know, uh, you know, black and white, you know, Zedin sitting on a table, and you know, again, it it does seem to stem from that, but but takes it somewhere else. Thanks Absolutely. for thanks for that. That's a great two great choices, and we'll put some links up on the Facebook page and how you can maybe get your hands on on, on these, uh, or at least have a look at, at some of the, the the pages from the the the, the zine as well. So thanks for that, uh, Peter. Um, we're going to go on to David's choice now. If you could tell us what your historic choices, and we'll take it from there. I, I, I have to preemptively apologise because um, it's purely driven by nostalgia, and you have reminded me of a simple fact about it. I've been pronouncing it wrong for 40-odd years because I've picked Don Lawrence's Trigon Empire, which I keep on getting told is Trigon Empire, and it's not Trigo, it's Trigo, and it's not Jano, it's Juno, and bear with me, I'll <laughs> try and self-visit as I go. So this is actually the uh, Hamlin collection from 1977. I saw it when I was about six in a local bookshop and couldn't get it off the shelf because it was too high for me and fell in love with it. And then many, many, many years later, found a second-hand co beat-up copy in a, in a junk shop. And this is it. And it is, according to the cover, a fantastic space world of adventure and conflict with a massive spaceship which doesn't actually appear in the story at all. <laughs> I was going to say, that cover is not <laughs> representative of the contents at all. No, not at all. Neither neither are the COD Battlestar Galactica fighters on the back cover. But basically, it is a collection of seven stories written by Mike Butterworth that what everyone remembers for it for, it was they were drawn by the remarkable Don Lawrence who even gets to sign pages occasionally. And they are gloriously illustrated. They were originally done as a two-page entertainment supplement in the Ranger comic in the 1960s, and then moved on to the Look and Learn, which was purely educational apart from this. And this was the sole reason I got Look and Learn as a kid. But it is basically an alien world where the Greek and Roman empires got spacecraft and took over the place. And over the course of seven stories in this collection, we have the trials and tribulations of founding this, this empire, um, how desert nomads save a bunch of effectively Greeks called Tharves who helped them build effectively Rome on five, five mountains with a river running through them. And it starts with the flash, flash forward to their future or their future, our past, with the last of the Trigons crashing their spaceship in a swamp in Louisiana. And it tells very quickly the story of the man who spends his life learning how to translate these remarkably illustrated works. And it is a thing of beauty, and I love it. <laughs> um, I could try and explain the plot, but the plot is basically adventures of daring do with um, invading green... Um, I, I assume they're probably communists, um, although they've got a despotic leader and moons crashing into planets and fires and revolutions and taking out dragons on wild horses and spaceships that look like Parthenons flying through the sky and uh, alien invaders with giant robots that look like King Kong. Um, and the, the interesting thing is looking at this now, because I've subsequently collected all of the old look and learns that these would appear in. These are the more sane stories, and they don't have the ones with um, 
um, brain controlling purple blobs who take over goats or um, insectoid invaders. So, um, yeah, uh, look, the story is superficial. What you really want to see this thing for is just the splashed pages and the glorious art. And I'm probably uh, not doing our timing any good by not describing it properly, but um, it is a, um, a 1950s sand and sandals movie directed in Technicolor by George Powell. And I'll put some pages up on the Facebook page and stop, stop blubbing over it because I just, every time I open it, it feels good. It's a lovely book. It's, um, the pages feel like old Eagle annual pages. They're not glossy. They're gloriously printed, but they're very thick and, um, they retain, they retain the smell that this secondhand copy never was in a smoke-free house, which is always sets me off for nostalgia. Um, Don Lawrence would draw these for about 10 or 11 years, and they I think they're a lost classic in British comics, although probably people will tell me, no, everyone knows about these, Dave, you're, you're talking absolute rubbish. Um, but Don would, of course, um, go to a convention where he'd see that all his work has been repre reprinted and been hugely successful in Europe, and as a result would refuse to ever draw it again. So there's about another... 10 or 15 years after he left, where it was illustrated by equally creative and skilled artists, but uh, Don Lawrence's work is the most most memorable and most iconic for these. Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, that kind of, you know, creator's sort of rights rears its, its head, you know, even at that stage. And, and it is fantastic to, to look at. And, you know, you can, you can, you can, this, this, is a, this is a classic case of, of something that could only really exist in comics because you would never be able to have the budget to show any of this, I think, on, on TV or film. Even, even these days, you know, it would be almost impossible to the amount of effect shots you would need to kind of represent this. So it's one of these books that, that really works in the format that it was originally intended for. Yeah. No, no, I, I agree. And, and the, the amazing thing about, um, I mean, we talk in, with the Eagle with, about Ian Kennedy and, and the, the glorious spaceships that are drawn there, but they're, they're spaceships drawn with a very modern perspective of, they're all full of little bits and nodules and lumps and detail, whereas um, Don Lawrence's craft, uh, they're all clean. There's not, a, there's not a spare rivet on them. They're just smooth lines and they couldn't work as CGI because people would look at them and go, they're too tidy. There's not enough, there's not enough stains or grime or plating on them. But as, as these books show that they just, that they work exceptionally well in that style, in this story, because everything has a uniformity of design to it, which is amazing. I've always been a fan of Don Lawrence's work, but it is incredibly difficult to get a hold of. Well, one of the advantages of living in New Zealand, and John Pertwee observed this when he came here to make Whistle Gamage, is we've got a crap load of junk floating around. And he was in a taxi coming to and from the airport, and he saw four or five old cars that he just wanted to get out and have a tinker with. And he ended up rebuilding one while he was here filming the series as something to do because all the bits were readily available. And for the longest time in New Zealand, you could go into secondhand bookshops and buy, you know, job lots of the look and learn magazines or what have you um and like this um remarkably cost effectively before people realized nostalgia was a a, a wonderful and glorious marketing opportunity 
But having said that, though, the good news is I believe Rebellion have bought the rights. And um, maybe in a year or two, we will see a, a more mass market version of these. Because the other thing that would be interesting is in all the reprints I'm aware of, um, and there's only been two or three, at least in English, um, the stories all get cut and trimmed to be, you know, because there'd always be bits that were missing because of ads or title blocks. And so quite a lot of them are sh not shadows of the former souls, but they do jump around a bit, even to the stage where there's another collection, the Tales of the Dragon Empire, where pages are dropped wholesale. Um, and while the story still flows around it, um, you, you end up finding, if, you, if you're aware of the story or have read the other version, um, that all of a sudden it jumps a bit and you go, oh, some, someone didn't get struck by lightning on that page. What happened? Um, but in, in Europe, uh, you can buy them like Tintins and collected sets. I've got a couple of Dutch versions of um, sort of the mid, mid Don Lawrence run. And, and that's where Don would go after sort of giving up, I think, with English comics, and he would go and create Storm and other projects in Europe where he is justly um, given his due. Yeah, well, it's interesting you mentioned about that kind of, you know, cut and, and shunt, you know, on the on the, mm. uh, the the reprints. And it's one thing that I think Rebellion and um, Treasury of British Comics are doing quite well is, 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 uh, is getting their hands on... The original art where they can and it'll be interesting to see what they do with it i was quite impressed with the recent um turbo jones reprint um the the wildcat <laughs> series i thought they did a really nice job on the repro of that so here's hoping that they they do just as good a job on this because it's the type of work that that really needs to be shown you know uh the best possible quality mm, mm. it's it's glorious i mean it's the, the, the only other thing I can think about before sort of the 80s and 90s f for this sort of quality of art in your comics would have been the original Dan Deere strips. And even then, uh, it's a different world. It's a different level of, of detail and design. It's actually probably more in keeping with the, the Bible stories at the back of the old eagles than, than Deere. But um, yes, no, it's... It, I, I I feel very guilty because I've brought about it and all I've, I've brought it to the table and all I've done is gush, but um, oh, they're amazing. And and again, as you go through the whole series, they yeah, there's ones with zombies, there's ones with mummies. It's it it just gets quite batty and and totally indescribable. No, it's it's a it's a fantastic piece of work, and um, hopefully there'll be some news on that. Um, later on in, in the year, because uh, certainly I'd like to get my hands on a on a more accessible collection or or format of it, because you know you can get your hands on you know um, the collected uh, the, the 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 old collected editions on eBay and places like that, but they're quite expensive and they're quite hard to get your hands on. So hopefully, yes. you know, we'll see something <laughs> later this year. Well, it'd be interesting, hopefully, also to see the other ones, because I do remember um, Oliver Frey had a run of the stories, which were very good. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, I, I will stop gushing now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, uh, Peter, do you, do you have any memories of, of, of this uh, yourself? or Utterly none, except, uh, except uh, for one, uh, which was in the days of TSV when uh, I was instructed to draw a horse, in one of Dave's strips, he referred me to uh, the Trigon Empire, and I'd never heard of it. 
So that's my confession. Yeah, I, he duly sent me some uh, some photocopies, but um, yeah, I I really need to have it in my hands to 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 appreciate it. I think I I did see the Turbo Jones uh, collection last week in the local comics uh, shop, and yeah, Rebellion are doing a fantastic job in these reproductions. And uh, as you say, let's hope they uh, that they're able to honour the uh, the original art um, as well. That brings us on to your next choice, I suppose, which which comes from Rebellion. So, do you want to tell everyone what your more contemporary well, choices? As in with many aspects of life, when presented with a problem I couldn't deal with, I cheated um, because I don't live anywhere with a comic book shop, so I don't actually have anything that's particularly new. But what I do have is the Michael Carroll, sorry, Michael Carroll, uh, Rico Dread novella, The Process of Elimination which is the second in a series he's done chronicling Rico's time on Titan. And I just find it really quite fascinating. It's a fairly standard 2008 Judge Dredd story. I'm not going to go into details other than Rico Dredd is a judge who's been sent to Titan and chronicling the strange stuff that goes down in the background there. But it's just very interesting to have this character who's pretty well established in black and white in the the continuity and the history of the series and have him sort of turned on his head and presented as this very interesting character with extra depth that you wouldn't have expected and not not a monster raving loony and in many ways seeming to have a bit more depth and nuance than than the stony granite face that is dread. Of course, he could be a very unreliable narrator. Let's not forget that. But I, I just thought I'd bring it because it's just interesting to see how Rebellion are now playing with the history of the series and how they're building the world up. And I appreciate uh, you hinted earlier, this is probably potentially quite a contentious issue with some of the creators. But um, it's just, it's it's interesting. to it's, they, they seem to have a bit more depth than the um, virgin sort of 2000 AD Judge Dredd novels that came out years ago, where it was all very much a comic comic strip script without the insert panel here, I thought at the time. Um, What's your take on, um, you know, you know, um, prose adaptations of comics? Because I, I have to admit, you know, when, when I was young and used to buy an annual or a summer special, uh, I would pretty much skip the text story, if I'm being honest with you, you know, I'd look at the pretty pictures and, you know, and I, and I would kind of move on, you know, it just didn't quite, it felt to me like filler in, in these specials. No, and the, but I'd say just as a rule of thumb, and this is something I, I this is something I, I sort of have come to the opinion of over the years, the prose, the, sorry, the text stories in annuals are comic strip strips, which have been stripped down and repurposed as text stories. They are not particularly well written. They are not a, a, a good ad for a prose adaptation of your comic strip. And I think personally, if they're done well, I think they're legitimate. But part of the problem with it is, and I, I speak of this as someone who is severely guilty, I put my hand up to it, of really bad Doctor Who fan fiction. And that is... Yeah, if, if you can get a proper writer to write a proper story in the universe that's established, I think it works. Um, 
But if you've got someone who's just trying to iron out their, uh, I really liked this story from 1977, um, then it's probably not going to fly as well. And I think Carol has done, a, Michael Carroll's done a really good job with this. He does also um, a couple of the Dread Year One and Year Two stories. And they also work quite well, I find. I haven't read his Judge's book, which is set at the start of the judge, setting up the judge system, and the history of how that all comes together. Um, I, you know, I'm always going to take a, a, a Carlos Esquera drawn strip over anything anyone else produces. But these aren't half bad, and I think they're worth your time. Well, it's, in, it's interesting what you say, that, that you, you've got a feeling that the, you know, the, the, the text... Um, you know, sections of annuals are really just, you know, comic scripts that they didn't have the time or the budget to produce. Because obviously these are well, written, you know, directly for, uh, as a novel, you know. Yes, yeah. No, well, the, I, it, it's sort of a, I, it's just a feeling I've got reading a few of them. And again, I like you, I never actually read them when I was a kid. But We've seen it with, uh, there's a Dan Deere story we did in a summer special, and there was a Rogue Trooper story I did with Conrad of Space Spinner 2000 um, for one of the annuals we did with him. And you can just, it's da-da-da-da-da, and he said, and he said, and he said, bang, 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 guns were shot, fires were shot. You know, and it's even down to the, the point where they actually put all the gunshots in really big letters. <laughs> halfway down the page so you've still got the visual impact of bang but um or or in the or buddha 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 because that's what they usually use in 2018 but um no it's just a vibe i've got as an as an adult having to read them to review them that just the the, the way the narrative is set up it's sort of like set scene boom 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 next scene boom 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 boom, boom. and and you you know it's 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 almost like there's a pile of script submissions where this one, yeah, no, we can't do this, but we'll, we'll trim it up and we'll put it in the annual and that'll save us four pages because with the best will in the world, we know that there is padding in annuals, especially from the 70s and 80s. So as far as your engagement with this book, did you read it digitally or did you buy it as the physical <gasps> paperback? I, I got an Amazon voucher, so I got it through Amazon, which meant I had to, I got it as an E, uh, no, I got it as a Mobi and had to turn it into an EPUB, and, uh, but um, no, I have it digitally, um, well, mainly because I don't, I'd have to order it in, and then it would be three months before it gets here, um, but also, but again, as someone who habitually during my life has collected crap, and I don't mean that, I don't mean as in terms of what I, you know, the, the objects have their own intrinsic value, and they're great, it's just... I've been a bit arbitrary in my getting 2,000 look and learns um, because I haven't been able to get rid of the double ups just to have a run of Trocadero Empire comics or stuff like that. I don't have space anymore. I've got kids. I, I, if, I, if I buy anything now, it's probably going to be digital if it's available in that format because while there's nothing better than you know picking up your Trocadero Empire and smelling it and giving it a good cuddle as you go to sleep at night... Um, um, that's just for nostalgia. That's that's because it's like an old teddy bear. If, if something's new, I can I can have it in a in a a cheaper, quicker, easier format. And this is the middle section of I'm assuming a trilogy. Yeah, I believe the 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 the, the third part's coming out. Um, I think April this year. 
Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be looking forward to, to seeing where it's going. It, it's a very loosely connected parts one and two. And the thing with Rico Dread is we know where the story ends. So I'm not quite sure where it's going to end up or if it's going to be part of an ongoing series like the Dread Year 1, Dread Year 2 seems to be expanding out to. So it's uh, there's, there's not a big plot thread left hanging, I think I can say without... You can read it independently of the other one. Is it something that stands alone? I mean, do you have to know the, you know, the, the comic background? It, it, but, uh, basically, in the first book, The Third Law, Rico discovers something. Um, and it just sits in the back of his mind. And then in the second book, The Process of Elimination, that plays into events that unfold the story. So if you read the first book and you go, oh, there's, there's something over there, he said, trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. And in the second book, you go over there. It's, it's good. It builds. But if you pick up the second book, you go, well, we're going over there. And, oh, apparently there was something there before. That's fine. And it, because there's a mystery about it in the first book, it's not spoiled by not reading the first book and the second book. It's, 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 it's like a jump on dread story. If, if you know the backstory, it, it adds depth, but you can still jump on. And uh, have you have you bought any other um, of, of, of these type of, of books that are based in the same universe? I've I've done a couple of the Dread Year Two ones, and yes, the the the, the third law one. Before then, I've read a few of the Black Flame imprint um, two thousand AD ones, but these seem to be a new direction Rebellion is taking with the expanding the universe in a very different direction. Yeah, I mean, I have to admit, I've not actually read any any of these. Um, but, you know, I, 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 out of sheer curiosity, I, I do want to pick up. There is a, there is a kind of sample on the 2000D um, webpage where you could read the first chapter of um, the Titan years um, on uh, 2000D online. So you can actually <clears> go on there and, and get a flavour of it. Uh, yeah. For me, it's crying out for some illustrations in there, but that's maybe just me. Well, it it, it allows you to do some nice special effects in your head. <laughs> and and let's be honest, of all the places that really don't need to have a heap of illustration, Titan is probably the the most dreary and claustrophobic and uh, uh, least least screaming out for a cityscape. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. So that no, that's 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 one de- definitely to have a have a look at. Like I said, I need to I need to do a bit of homework on that myself. And uh, you know, I do like the fact that you you've bent the rules somewhat. And but we're we're all for that, you know. And uh, you know, I encourage uh, people to to track down you know comics in any in any form, even if they're not comics. Um, that's all good, you know. And uh, so, is there anything else that you, you've both been been reading or looking at or or anticipating? And that's coming up this year. I, I'm waiting to binge watch Doom Patrol. <laughs> sorry, Co- comics, comics, not in comics again. I'm sorry, but I, I, uh, that, that that looks very fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm a D, I'm a DC fan, so I'm looking forward to uh, um, to uh, to Shazam. Um, um, and also on that note. Um, I should have confessed that my copy of the uh, the Dylan Horrocks volume actually came from the local library uh, because I haven't been purchasing um, comics too much recently. Um, but at the same time, I also picked up um, Batman Ego and other tales, uh, the deluxe edition, 
um, written and uh, uh, illustrated by Darwin Cook, who's an artist I've, I've discovered sadly after his death, but I'm really enjoying. Uh, so that's on the nightstand to finish after I've uh, uh, I've done my Horrocks collection. And coming up on your podcast or or podcast, what's the what's the current status of your or both your podcasts? Uh, well, the, <laughs> the 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 Doctor Who podcast, I think, has probably run out of steam at least for a year. Um, we've we've done a, a couple of wilderness years with nothing on the telly and keeping it rolling, and it's it's a lot of hard work. So I think there's a pin in that one for at least a year, maybe longer, who knows. And, yeah, exciting news readers. <laughs> Changes are happening to Eagle. <laughs> we have my Man Down episode coming up for, for uh, Where Eagle's Dear, where I will uh, sadly have to detail um, the, the story of my departure from New Eagle um, back in the day, um, but happily um, still with the comic now and uh, looking forward to the illustrated era of uh, of New Eagle, which is mere episodes away, isn't it, Dave? Yes, we, we might have a, um, I think we'll have a photo story ret- retrospective special, um, which we will, we'll, we'll put a bit of planning to at some point. Um, but yes, it's, it's, it's all sort of rolling along as these things tend to do. This will be your first time reading the, 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 the drawn strips then? Yeah, for me, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a quite a big stack to go through before I get to my end of, of uh, Eagle. Um, I had a, I had a very indulgent parent, um, buying everyone comics. So yeah, just, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I've got the entire run, um, from '82 to to just the beginning of '94. I've got every issue of it. So I'm, I'm following along real time. You know. For the second time, <laughs> well, you, well you, you, you're ahead of me by a couple of years, so that's. Uh, but the, we'll, we'll get we'll get to the mid '80s first. He said, hopefully. Thanks very much, guys. I mean, um, we'll put some links up on on the Facebook page for the podcast of where you could access your shows, um, and uh, and look forward to, to to listening to more episodes of that, and uh, I definitely look forward to your photo story you know retrospective when that comes around uh and uh, thanks for taking time out to talk to us today and hopefully oh, we talk thank, again thank you for putting this in your busy morning sorry <laughs> yes, yeah. it's just gone nine o'clock Lovely. here so off to work for me but uh it's oh. a perfect perfect way to start the day i have to say and uh and yes uh hopefully we'll be able to chat again down the line and uh, maybe we'll talk about you know the the drawn phase of of the new ego once you get into that Fantastic. Fantastic, yes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks, guys. Join us next time on Comic Scene, the podcast.